Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Dr. David Suzuki. He has been the host of The Nature of Things for at least 41 years, and he's going to talk about that uh, 60th year anniversary of The Nature of Things on CBC. Uh, check out the, the season premiere. It's called Rebellion, and you're going to see uh, why it's so rebellious uh, when, you, when you sit down and you uh, click a play. Um, coming soon to a digital theater near you. David and I had a great time. We, we chatted about, uh, well, without a doubt, we chatted about the reality of climate change. We, we got into uh, TV as, as a way of informing people why David got into this uh, business of television in the first place, because he, he wanted to raise, you know, uh, our level of understanding about, uh, about science. He, he talks a, a great deal about, about uh, kind of this fine line between despair and hope, you know, I've referred to myself before as a hopeful cynic, and not sure if David would refer to himself that way, but but uh, yeah, because you know, depending on the day you 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 wake up, how you wake up, and the news you read, uh, he, we we talk about the priority of politics and and how how we're hampered by what actually is politically possible. David actually uh, goes very deep, I think, and, and says, you know, as environmentalists, we've, we've fundamentally failed. And uh, how, how did we get here? And that's what really comes out in, in this film. And you'll see, you'll see protest, you'll see um, uh, people coming together. I mean, the establishing shot in the, uh, in this episode, the season premiere is really quite remarkable. How many people are coming together uh, to push uh, back. Uh, we talk about how the economy has has become the dominant narrative and, and, and what climatology is really all about and how, how kids see some of these things and have this ability to discover these these unknowns, I guess you could say, uh, in, 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 well, they already know it. It's not that they discover it in a matter of minutes, but they already know it. I think it was Einstein who said that children know more about physics at five than, than most scientists actually do. We, we talk about um, why so much of, of this uh, might be beyond uh, human uh, control and 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 all and and what what are we willing to do? How far are we willing to take it in the name of rebellion, of protest, of speaking out against 
the way things are and hoping and aspiring towards something uh, better. So, so stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Coming right up, uh, an interview. It was a real thrill and a real pleasure to have David on the show. Uh, it's 60, 60th year anniversary. How amazing and remarkable is that? And a big, uh, big round of digital applause for David Suzuki for 41 years uh, with, with the show. Uh, and don't forget, you can learn more about what I'm doing at davidpecklive.com, uh, speaking and writing. Uh, and, and, and you can get a copy of Real Changes Incremental there. And, and don't forget to face-to-facelive.ca. That's where most of these interviews are hosted. You can find them, you know, on your favorite player, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, uh, SoundCloud, whatever, wherever it is you listen to podcasts, you can find us there. And please, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please leave us a review. A thumbs up on YouTube would be brilliant. A little review, a few stars, uh, you know, and, and a comment or two would be genius. The more we can mediate uh, the show, the better. And uh, don't forget, we've got over 500 now, 535 published interviews on face-to-facelive.ca. Um, and if you want to advertise with us, you can do that too. We've we've started to uh, reach out. Uh, don't forget to sign up for our, our uh, newsletter. Uh, we only send that out about five or six times a year. And uh, there you go. We've got a whole tons of great guests coming up. But right now, uh, wherever you are, uh, at the gym, out for a walk, uh, driving home from work, uh, settle in and uh, join me as I I step into it a little bit uh, with Dr. David Suzuki talking about the climate and uh, the new season of The Nature of Things and the episode Rebellion. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a super special guest here with us today. Uh, We have uh, Dr. David Suzuki here to talk about, uh, well, I think to talk about a whole lot of things. David, welcome uh, to Face to Face. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Rebellion, uh, 60th season of the nature of things, which is just mind boggling. I mean, can you can you give us a reflection or or a thought or two just on that alone at the the conversations you've had for for these many years now. Well, you know, the the thing is that in the media, which is so intent on celebrating, oh, this season's brand new films and uh, a film, a series like this that is 60 years old, people go, what the hell is the nature of things still on air? Like what's going (laughs) on? You're seeing as this (coughs) kind of aged thing that is an anachronism on television, but I keep saying, look, this is survival of the fittest. Mm. For a series like this to have survived this long, we must be the cream of the cream. Like, this is a top of the heap. Um, I'm very, very proud of the fact that this series has been able to stay on in prime time in Canada during this whole period in the, uh, well, the three major American networks never had a serious science series in prime time in that whole time you know pbs pbs has run a number of of shows but pbs audience is a very tiny elite audience it's not the same as abc nbc or cbs and i think it's to to the cbc's credit that they kept this series on air all of these years and we've never been more important Mm. than we are today i think that's the rebellion I've, I've been blown away by it. It's really to the credit of Mark Starowitz who's put this together that, you know, it's just so en- energetic and so relevant to today's issues. Uh, that's why the Canadians should celebrate the nature of things in its longevity. 
I think it's remarkable too, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think you've written 55 books and 15 of them, which is a huge number uh, for kids. I, I love how you've sort of crossed over. Uh, is that the word, fair way to put it? Into, into every generation. When I mentioned to my son, who's 15, I was interviewing you later today. His, no joke, his face lit up. He said, wow, oh, that's good. That's great. You know, just the fact that my 15 year old, you know, that you are a part of in this show, and the issues that you've been dealing with are a part of our culture and our the psyche is, is a remarkable thing. I'm honored by that. I'm, I'm delighted. And, you know, when you think about it, why would this funny looking Japanese uh, <laughs> man, especially an old man now, and it's, I think it's, the, it's not me, it's the resonance of mm. the issues that we've raised. And I'd like to feel that, you know, if I've been able to do it in a way that's exciting to young people, then... I'm very, very uh, proud of that. But I, I think it's the importance of the issues that we've raised. And again, I, I come back to the nature of things. You know, it's a, a venerable institution. It started way before I got involved. I'm in my 41st year as host. Um, wow. But that it established itself. And, and I think it touched, touched people, especially on the, with the nature film uh, work that we've done. And it's what gives uh, David Attenborough the, the mm -hmm. longevity he's had. He touched people uh, where we've kind of taken a different path is that we've always been outspoken in terms of the, the negative impacts that humans were having uh, on the natural world. You say at the beginning of the film, there's a great uh, establishing shot of the crowds in the streets, and it just gives you a sense for the magnitude and the the community that's that's developed in this. Uh, as somebody says, talks about uh, later, I think it's one of the scientists talks about conscientious protection. You say you've seen many protests in your day, but not like this. Yeah. Is why is it so different? Well, I think it's because of the reality of climate change. Now, you you have to be. You know, I, I don't know what rock you've hidden under if you're a climate denier. It's, it's real because it's happening. It's crystal clear. And that's what gives the power to, to her message. Why should I go to school if I don't have a future? I listen mm -hmm. to scientists and they're telling me the way we're going means that I won't have a future. And she's right. And now you really have to have a vested interest in fossil fuels or or something to deny the reality of what she's saying. Is, you know, that's interesting, interesting that you say that because uh, I did want to talk to you about this idea, the, the idea of the, the hoax, the climate hoax comes up. We talk in the film, Fox News and, and different outlets that the, the hysteria around the, the, what they would call, I guess, bad science, I suppose. This is a big, big hoax. How do you, after so many years, a scientist and, and having traveled the world and in so many different cultures and so on, how do you have a conversation with someone who, who or, or do you even, no, I don't. Who's, who's a, <laughs> who's a denier? Like, yeah. I'm just wondering, how do you win that argument, David? I, you, I, I can't. And, and it's, you know, it's all tied into, I'm shocked at the anti-vaxxer mm. movement, you know, Vaccines were one of the greatest, the greatest discoveries and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, treatments that humans have ever developed. It's an amazing, uh, an amazing uh, technology and it's an amazing use of, of science. And to deny that is just astonishing to me. I began my career in 1962 
when I did a, a series of, I, I had no intention of going into television, but right. interesting. I, I began with a, you know, a show on genetics and the producer loved it. And I ended up doing eight on a local Edmonton CBC channel. And uh, back then I thought, whoa, television is a powerful way of informing people. Hmm. And science is a really important part of how people should be making decisions. So I went into television seriously to try to raise the level of understanding of people uh, about science, because I felt the more informed they are, the better decisions they'll make in their lives. So we come to a time when in a cell phone, you can, can have access to more information than people have ever had in mm. human history. You can access the United States Library of Congress through your cell phone. So we've now got all this information and the opposite of what I thought would happen is mm -hmm. happening. People don't have to change their minds because you just churn through the internet and look at websites until you find something that confirms everything you already believed, right? You right. want to believe the earth was made in seven days? There are hundreds of websites telling you that. You want to believe that UFOs brought aliens here that mated with women? There are websites. You want to believe the earth is flat? You want to believe in uh, that climate change is a hoax? It's all out there. And people come to me and they say, look, I found this website that said, and he's a PhD and he says that global warming is an absolute hoax and bullshit. And, and um, this is how Trump can, can uh, uh, justify his, uh, uh, his lack of attention to COVID because he's got a doctor there that... Uh, is, is a total loony and uh, <laughs> he can cite this authority, you know? So this is a thing that is shocking to me is that it's not just information alone. People have got to say, where's the information coming from? Mm. Who's paying for this? What is the authority of these guys that have PhDs or, or MDs? Uh, we don't do that. We just look for a website and boom, you know, we believe it. Uh, uh, yeah, affirm, as you say, affirm our belief system. Exactly. And that is really scary. It is really scary. I mean, I think this is a beautiful, I mean, there's so much to talk about. And by the way, congratulations on 60th year and, and 40, was it 42 years? Did you say 40, 41st year? Congrats. Rebellion's wonderful. I mean, I've seen many episodes of the nature of things over the years, but very engaging for a variety of reasons. And I think there's a pace to it, you know, which yeah. is, which I think is kind of a metaphor really for what's happening. Well, that's um, to Mark Starowitz's credit, right. you know, so he put together a wonderful film. Art, you know, I couldn't help but think of Howard Beale from from uh, from Network, and I hope I hope if my listeners are, are you know willing to go back and watch an older film, they'll go back if they haven't seen Network. Are you are you mad as hell? That, well, I'm I'm torn between a number of uh, feelings, frustrated, um, but mainly I I flip between despair mm. and um, and hope. Uh, you know, I, I stopped a journalist short the other day when we, we, he did this interview and at the end, he said, well, you know, I've really changed the way I see the world because I have this young baby. And I said, your baby, the way we're going, is not gonna live a full life. Mm -hmm. He just, his jaw dropped when he realized, you know, that, that what the future holds is very, very grim. Mm -hmm. And the frustration, to me is, uh, you know, you, you take someone like 
Justin, Justin was such a relief after 10 years of Harper and Harper denial. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he said Canada was back, went to Paris, signed the agreement, and we all celebrated. And then two years later, he bought a pipeline. And you go, well, what the hell? You just signed this agreement and we've got to get off oil and you're, uh, you're, tr you're increasing the output from the tar sands and you're paying money that should have been going into buses and public transit and all that stuff. Like, what the hell? And you get this, clearly, it was a political decision to try right. to tell Alberta, look, we're not all against Alberta. But the most contrived justification was we have to accelerate or increase the amount of pollution from the tar sands, the dirtiest oil in the world, in order to afford to get the taxes to pay to reduce our emissions. Now, you tell me mm. how that makes any sense at all. It's crazy. Yeah, mad circular madness. Yeah, and that's the, the frustration and, and the despair that I feel. You talk very early on, which I thought was really interesting and, and, and wonderful, but, you know, very connected to what you just said, but that, that sense of anger and, and, and hope. And, and, and I loved, I think it was Gail uh, 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 Bradbrook who, okay. said, who, who talked about hopium. I haven't heard, <laughs> I haven't heard that before. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gail, is, Gail is great. She's a character. You know, she's got a PhD. And, yep. Yeah, she's great. Um, is Gail the one that um, got up on the the, 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 yes. the door and was hammering the glass? Yes. Oh, David, I got to say, one of my favorite moments in the film, so many, but when she's sort of in with her UK kind of accent, turns out turns out it was a rather expensive piece of glass. I just <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's so beautiful and so human. Scientist first or, or, or storyteller first? Well, I, I'm a scientist by training and that suffuses everything I do. Mm. And if I have any talent, it, I hope it's to try to transform what I know in science um, into something that's compelling, interesting, and relevant to the viewer. And, you know, that's uh, a great deal of that is, is the success of the Nature of Things unit. It's a lot of people that have uh, been able to, uh, to do that. So, you know, the ultimate storyteller to me is Wade Davis, who is, mm, yep. he, you know, he's just a great storyteller. Well, and I think, well, what's so interesting to me about, about, about this episode in particular, I mean, here we've got all these stories of these young people basically uh, saying, you know, how could you let this happen? How, how, could, how, how is it possible that we ever wound up here? And it's rooted very much in, a, in, in human experience, you know, and, yeah. and you would like to think that we're all going to be high on hopium <laughs> in the very near future. But it seems like we've got so far to go. And you talk about, you know, you ask the very real question, is the momentum going to fade? You bring your daughter into the picture who was way ahead of her time, clearly. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? How, how you know, we, we, we bought in, we, we want to we get out there as well. We want to sign the petitions. We want to divest ourselves, let's say, of fossil fuels and our, our, our mutual funds. I mean, how, how do we, I don't know, how do we stay hopeful, David? Well, I, you know, there have been movements in the past, uh, you know, certainly Severn, my daughter was caught up in that uh, movement at the time she gave her speech in, uh, in Rio. Um, but, you know, I, and I look back to 1988, when 300 uh, scientists and politicians uh, met in Toronto, and uh, 
at that time, it was opened by Brian Mulroney, the Prime Minister mm -hmm. of Canada. He was followed by Gro Harlem Brundtland, the Prime Minister of Norway. And they were followed by James Hansen, who was the first climatologist to say in Congress, human activity, human burning of fossil fuels is causing the planet to warm up. And it was all there. At the end of the conference, the delegates released a press re release that said, human beings are performing an uncontrolled experiment on the mm -hmm. only home we have. Hmm. That global wow. warming represents a threat to human survival, second only to nuclear war, and called for a 20% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions in 15 years. There we had it. The science was in, politicians were there, the declaration was made that this is a target to aim for, and we didn't do it. That is the, the tragedy of our time, that we had a moment to achieve it. Study after study showed that the target was not only achievable, that we would save tens of billions of dollars, but it required an investment upfront mm. of several tens of billions of dollars. Right. So politically, it made no sense. Even though the end result was achievable, human health would be improved, we would save in Canada a, let, a net over $100 billion. It made no sense for any politician to say, uh, sorry, folks, we've got to commit several billion dollars now for the next 10 years. We've got to commit this money and maybe we'll achieve that target. But the politicians today, at that time, knew they wouldn't be in office in 15 right. years to take credit for it. So it made no political sense to take a shit kicking over the commitment so someone else could reap the benefits 15 years later. And that's the problem with politics, is the priority of politicians when they're elected is the next election. And you saw that in spades when Trump was elected, from the moment he took office, he saw that Biden was a possible opponent. He was doing everything he could to undermine Biden as a political candidate. From the moment he was elected, the re-election was a critical thing. It is, it is kind of mind-boggling. I mean, I, the, the idealist in me would like to think that most folks who get into politics, at least at the beginning, get in for the right reasons. And, and, and somewhere along the way, you know, it gets, uh, I mean, maybe Trump, Trump, is a whole other conversation. But for the most part, you know, where does that idealism go? I mean, is it really about power? Is it really about money? Uh, well, is it, it's in, is it's in, that's very, very interesting because I've talked to a number of people in the Trudeau government and saying, you know, I, uh, I realize that you're hampered by what is politically possible. And so that really constrains you right away. But the very, at the very least, tell us the truth about the danger. Oh face yeah you know, someone's got to do that but the politics really constrain i have met so many people when they were beginning their career and they are idealistic and they they really you know see the problems but when you get in all kinds of things happen one thing is you have to uh you have to subscribe to what the party decision is and the party's decision or mandates are dictated by politics and um, party unity is, is very important. One thing that does happen over time, when people get reelected and 
you know, become part of the cabinet or whatever, they get used to flying first class everywhere. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they have a car that's there and uh, they have all of the, uh, the accoutrements of, of being an important person. And after a while, they begin to think they, they deserve it. Like, yeah, they, I'm doing important work and, and I deserve all of these, these frills that come with the office. And it kind of changes them. The Tommy Douglases of the world are pretty rare. Mm, yeah, the, the forest becomes obscured by the trees. Yeah, it's, it, it really is remarkable. I remember a, a local politician uh, uh, where we live said, you know, if you ever decide to get in, get into municipal at least. And we were having a coffee and he looked out the window and he said, you see those lights over there and that curb over there? I, yeah. I, I did that, you know? It was just, just kind of an interesting comment on that's on very That's a very, very good uh, comment. Yeah, just to roll up my sleeves, I was able to affect some change. You yeah, know? yeah. They're much more at the municipal level. That's where you're getting much uh, more response because the public is also there. And, in, in, you know, I could call the mayor and see the mayor any time. And, well, maybe not any time, but we can call the city councilor. Right. That's where the action um, really is. I, I agree. So if the we're not... The closest I ever came... People have always said, well, you know, if you, if you uh, are criticizing all the time, why don't you run for office? Right. You know, I'd be a terrible, a terrible politician. I admire anyone that decides to devote a life to politics. But I came really, really close once when uh, we got our first NDP government under Dave Barrett, and a, a guy I really admire. And, uh, you know, I really, I love Dave. And he came to me while he was in office and said, he told me, I want you to run in this riding. Um, he told me who, who it was against. And so we went round and round and finally I said, you know, Dave, I just am not, uh, I don't think I could take the, the, uh, the roughness of the political sphere. And uh, no, I don't think I'm cut out for that. And then he said, you goddamn academics, that's all you do. You talk a good line. You say we should do this and that. He said, he said, you see that road up the, the mountain there? I built that and nice. saved that forest there. You see that building over there? I got it changed so that the rules of the energy use and all that are, are built into that. I did that. I built this and I did. And he was so right on. I just felt humiliated. And <laughs> I came so close to running. But in the end, I realized I would have made a very poor politician. Because I, I wouldn't have been able to live under the restrictions of belonging to that party and having to not to open my mouth, you know. Well, that David, would you agree that, it, I mean, politics kind of redefines change in a sense, right? Change, yeah. incrementalism is redefined, you know, because exactly. especially at a higher level. Exactly. But, you know, the Barrett government was very interesting because uh, the word is, and I'm pretty sure it's true, that when they were elected, first NDP government under a Jew, uh, it was a big deal, right? And so he called all of his, his members and he, he jumped up and sat on the table, big table, and said, well, we're elected, are we going to have fun or are we going to play politics? Right. And he decided nice. he was gonna play, uh, uh, have fun. And what they did was unprecedented, what he, uh, they passed an average of two or three laws a week 
and they transformed the country after all those years mm. of, of the Bennett Socred government. I mean, it was mm. his record really stands as a tribute. And I believe it was because he wanted to get things done and that re-election wasn't his highest priority. Yeah, he actually passionately and uh, intentionally committed to the cause and, and was following through on it on all levels. Yeah, it is remarkable, the ideological sort of, uh, I, I, I find a lot of in, uh, nonprofits, um, you know, the, the, the end goal becomes bigger, bigger and better. And, and, the, and the vision and the mission, I've worked in the nonprofit sector for about 20 years, and it's heartbreaking to see how it's all about the fundraising dollar. Yeah. And, and so much gets set aside as a result of that. Um, I loved, you know, in the film, you know, you, you, I, I think it was Ravine, and when you guys traveled to India, you, you're talking, she said something about, you know, protest isn't going to affect our government at all. And, and so she talks about her secret army. And, yes. and she, <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> trees, trees, by the way, seem to be the theme for us here today in this interview. And 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 she gets all the kids up in the trees, and 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 she changes policy. She significant change in, in Delhi as a result of these children. And and you've can, can, you've written fifteen books for kids. Can you talk about that a little bit about about the seeds that are planted and how we raise our kids and the edu and and is education really the silver bullet? You know. Uh, mm -hmm. is, is that, it is, it is uh, the, the key to it because I have said over and over again that as environmentalists, we fundamentally failed. You know, we celebrated, uh, we stopped the dam at Site C on the Peace River in the 1970s. We, my wife and I got very involved with uh, the Kayapo people in Brazil and we stopped a major dam uh, on the uh, Xingu River by getting the World Bank to pull its loan uh, to Brazil out. We stopped a proposal to drill for oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge that threatened the porcupine caribou herd. We celebrated these things as victories, but every one of these things is back on the agenda being done. Mm -hmm. And the reason is we didn't use those occasions, those battles, to change the way we see our relationship with the world. Mm. Instead, it just became a brutal kind of uh, which one, you know, has the most uh, impact on, on the government or on the corporation at that time. But we didn't, didn't change the rules of what we're doing. Right. And where we, the reason I wanted to influence children is to see that we are, that nature is everywhere from the air that we breathe into our bodies and the water we drink and, you know, that we are utterly dependent uh, on the natural world. And that shift is very very hard to get mm. in adults kids see it right away and i love to go to toronto and talk to young people kids in elementary school because i say you know when you turn on the tap where does your water come from they don't know and i tell them at lake ontario and then i say when you flush the toilet where does it go they don't know and i say well after treatment it goes out into lake ontario so then they begin to understand cycles. Right. And, you know, you ask them when you put the garbage on the curb, where does it go to? They don't know. Um, you know, uh, when you turn on the lights, where does the electricity come from? Right. You know, with, those are fundamental things that kids ought to think about because as adults, we don't think much about them either. No, it's, uh, you know, at a point in the film, you in, in, in this film, Rebellion, you talk about uh, social media comes up about being the big difference and about what, I guess, I mean, it's a real positive take on social media. And I guess like, you know, 
everything has an asset and a liability attached to it, right? And so, so if, you know, yeah, and I love too, by the way, how you talked about, you know, that this movement was, um, uh, what was the phrase you used? Nonviolent, but dramatic, <laughs> right? Yeah. And again, we're sort of back to the narrative and we're back to, we're telling new stories. I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing quite a few indigenous filmmakers at uh, the Toronto Film Festival this year. And well, actually over the past year or so, and uh, Michelle Latimer and, and, and Sarah Todd, uh, Monkey Beach. And, and, and the theme of course is very much about nature. It's about water, it's about breath, you yeah. know, about the air yeah. that we breathe. And, yeah. uh, and, and, but it's all being told through stories. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a remarkable thing. Yeah, we've uh, our story now is dominated by the economy, which has mm -hmm. become the most important thing. So we had a prime minister for 10 years, Stephen Harper, who said doing anything about climate change is crazy economics. It'll destroy the economy. And so his story or his narrative is the economy is the source of all the, the wonders, the, 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 the good things in our lives. So more important than the atmosphere that gives us air to breathe or weather right, climate right. and seasons that's that's a really dark narrative if you ask me was it david Attenborough who said that we've gone from a change it's it's no longer climate change it's climate crisis or no. was it someone else someone else Gail, I can't remember. Might have, might have been Gail. Well, I love how how you 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 uh, the filmmakers you uh, whoever it was was able to get the Church of England or at least a representative yes. of it, to call it the the horse of the apocalypse or, or one of the horsemen of the the fifth yes. is it the fifth horseman of the apocalypse? Yes, yeah. and you know the Pope has been very good on yep. this too. And yeah, no, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable when it it just seems like we we've got everything we need. To, to move into a more positive, hopeful space. And well, the story, the, but the story that didn't come out that I regret is the, the actual record of the fossil fuel industry. Mm. This, after all, climate change started in 1824, you know, when Fourier d discovered the greenhouse effect. So s since 1824, scientists have been studying in the area of climatology. Right. So it's a, a robust science. By the 1960s, uh, Mikhail Badiko, a uh, Russian climatologist, said, you know, if uh, the warming continues like this, the ice in the Arctic is going to melt and you won't get the reflection of light back the, uh, and that's going to accelerate the greenhouse, the, the, the global warming effect. He was right on. And in 1965, the, a man named Frank Eichard said burning coal, oil, and gas is causing the planet to warm up. And by the year 2000, it may very well be beyond human mm. control. This Frank Eichard was the president of the American Petroleum Institute, which is the organization wow. counter, counter, comparable to the uh, um, what CAP, Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. So he represented the fossil fuel industry. Nineteen sixty-five, he said it's happening, and it's dire if we don't do something. In nineteen seventy-two, I think James Black, the uh, lead scientist for Exxon, said we're we're warming the planet by burning fossil fuels. So the industry knew it was happening and the dire consequences. And what did they do? They hired many of the people 
scientists who worked with the tobacco industry to deny that smoking causes cancer. Now they use the same techniques to say, no, 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 there is no evidence. Humans couldn't be causing it. This is a natural cycle. All, and Exxon spent tens of millions of dollars in a campaign to say, no, it's not proved, it's not real, it's not fossil fuels that are the basis. And it worked, all in the name of profit. So by 1992, the American Petroleum Institute that Frank Eichard spoke on behalf of, their official position of the API was, we don't know whether climate change is really happening, but if it is, there is no evidence that human beings are the cause. Wow, wow. Yeah, so it's just, just that astounding. story, and yet at every table, when we're discussing what we have to do, when we go to government or, or whoever, the fossil fuel industry is in there big time saying, if you don't, if you screw us, we're going to lose jobs. Don't regulate us. We're doing the best we can. I mean, that story should be out there every oh, day. Oh, absolutely. It's not the story that you're reading uh, most days, that's for sure. I, David, we got to wrap it up soon, and I, I, I knew this was going to happen. It feels like we just said hello. Um, but can, can you maybe uh, give me some insight on that? Uh, Reverend Yearwood, wonderful. Lo love his tone, loved his presence in, in, in the film. He seems really hopeful, you know? Yeah. Uh, talking about, and yet talking about things like systemic racism and, and COVID and what it's revealed. And um, he, he sort of ends with, I think, a time to care for our brothers and sisters. I mean, it sounds so, I mean, idealistic. And uh, I, I've often called myself a hopeful cynic. And, you know, because some, depending on the day you wake up and depending on the news you read, I think has, has an impact yeah. on whether or not, you know, you can, you feel like you can actually make a, a, a change, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I don't know, is, final word, <laughs> small well, F, no, do you have I've a footnote always, for us here? I, my, my family has worked and, and lived with Indigenous people because I really believe they've got something so precious for the rest of us, you know, a way of seeing our relationship with nature. Counter-narrative. Uh, we've got so much to learn from them, and so trying to help them gain control over their land and and uh, you know, restore their culture and their language have been high priorities for us. And what's astounding to me, you know, the Indigenous Lives Matter has come up because we, we saw Colton Bushi, who was murdered by a Saskatchewan farmer. And then in New Brunswick, more recently, the two people that were shot uh, in their homes. Um, and yet we talk to Indigenous people and they always say, well, we're all in the same canoe. And we have to be paddling together. And I go, how right. can you do that? You know, with how come you're not just a torrent of anger and hatred from the abuse that you've had to, had to live through? But they still talk about coming together. And it's a very mm -hmm. generous thing that they do. That's uh, it's a. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful way to end end our conversation. That 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 notion of uh, good and beauty and truth and and I mean it's about a community. I love I love the notion of all being in the same canoe. I don't know how how good I am at keeping it. You know, 
straight, but but at the same time, I do I do love that sensibility and the generosity comment. I think exactly. Yeah, there's something really profound and beautiful. And well, listen, thank thank you for your generosity today and joining me here on this conversation. And uh, what what a pleasure, what an honor. And and again, congratulations on this episode in particular. But 40, 41 years. That's just uh, remarkable. And uh, what what what's new for you? Are you are you writing anything? You working on anything? I'm doing a new podcast, uh, five-part podcast series, and amazing. It's uh, yeah, but uh, you know I've got young grandchildren, and so they give me the energy to. Oh, that's cool. You know, that's I, great. You know, I have no illusion. I'm just one person, you know. But it, you know, I always say if there are enough drops, we can fill. We're drops in the bucket, but we can fill any bucket there is. So. Absolutely, the the ripple effect has been profound, without a doubt. Uh, David, what a pleasure! Thank you. We've been talking to David yeah. Suzuki today here, the the host of uh, The Nature of Things, and uh, the newest episode coming out very soon called Rebellion. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.